Well, that's exactly the kind of stuff that we're talking about in this series, the power of being someone to another person in an intentional relationship and how that can change a life, uh, especially for the other person, but how that can also change your life. Uh, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm Dion, by the way. I'm one of the teaching pastors here on staff. And uh, I, I want to welcome you if you're a guest here with us especially. We're, we're glad to have you here. Uh, if you're joining us online, we're glad to have you online as well. Uh, we're going to talk today about the power and the importance of knowing yourself. But before we get into it, I invite you to pray with me. Uh, Father, this morning I'm just reminded that you never fail. As we sang about that today, uh, God, I, I, I just remember that, that you really never fail, that you're faithful to accomplish the things that you promise. And so, Lord, today um, we come in here needy for you, anxious to hear from you, in all different places with different situations going on in our lives. And, and God, we need to hear from you. So, so don't fail us, we pray. Lord, don't fail me. Allow me to be your spokesperson here today. But speak a word to each and every one of our hearts so that we might hear from you and that we might find life, the kind of life that only you can give. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, those who know me really well, um, those people who are probably closest to me or those who work with me, know that I am an inventory junkie. Now, what is that? Now, now, now that is not a new politically correct name for hoarder. You could argue that it is, but it's not. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about personal or personality inventories. You know what I mean? I've taken all of them that probably exist in the world, and and I thought today I'd share with you some of the results of some of those inventories. Uh, Myers-Briggs, you've heard of it maybe. Myers-Briggs, I'm an ENTP, um, which some would classify as a strategic inventor. That's kind of the name for that type. Um, StrengthsFinder. If you've heard of StrengthsFinder, any of you taken StrengthsFinder? One person? Okay, five people. Six people. So six of you know what this means. Um, My strengths are ideation, strategic learner, activator, and maximizer. Um, I've taken um, the DISC assessment, if you know that one, DISC assessment. I came across as results-oriented in the DISC assessment, which means I'm a very high D. Some of you know what this means. Um, I'm a moderate I and C and a low S. Um, that's, that's my results-oriented DISC assessment. Um, there's a new assessment, newer, last couple of years, called the Standout Assessment. It's also, oh wait, this one first, sorry. Uh, spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts, teaching, evangelism, and prophecy. That last one sounds kind of scary, but it's not, I assure you. Um, what I was going to tell you about before was Standout Assessment. Uh, this is also by the Gallup organization. They kind of define your roles, and my roles are equalizer and advisor, there's a brand new one that just came out. It's currently a New York Times best-selling book called um, How the World Sees You, and it's called Your Fascination Advantage, which sounds fascinating, right? Um, and my profile for that is a maverick leader, although I, I categorically deny this to be the case. Um, but they kind of give you a different profile for each type of person that you are, and they talk about how you should leverage your advantage and mine. Uh, these two things, um, innovation and power, make up a maverick leader. I'm serious. I'm crazy about assessments. I've taken them all. I even know which Disney princess I would be. <laughs> I'm serious. I took the test just out of curiosity because I had to. Anyone want to guess? Ariel. Why is it always Ariel? Uh, I'm brown, not bl- uh, red. Uh, Ariel, good guess, but not. Um, my Disney princess would be Jasmine. Can't you see me in some harem pants or MC Hammer pants? Totally. Now, some of you may think that I am totally self-obsessed or narcissistic, and I, I don't think that's the case. Although, if you want to be certain, you should probably ask my wife. She'll, she'll tell you all the honest truth about me. Um, here's the thing for me, though. I, I just really believe that it's really important 
that I know myself. And here's what I'm discovering the longer I live, I am the hardest person for me to get to know. Do you know what I mean? And the same is true for you. You are probably the hardest person for you to get to know. Now, now it seems like it should be easy because you're living in your own skin. But yet, I think that's exactly what makes it so difficult. Because you are living inside your own skin. You don't have objectivity. You don't have the distance. You don't have the perspective required to really know yourself. And yet, knowing yourself is so important, even though it's very difficult. Now, now here's what I'm going to predict. Already, as I've been talking about this, I bet that there are some of you who are thinking, why on earth are we talking about this in church? I mean, this isn't the kind of stuff you're supposed to talk about in church. This is some 1960s psycho babble. Why would we talk about this in a place like this? Well, I want you to know that this idea of knowing yourself has deep scriptural foundations. I'm not going to go into uh, great detail here, but I want to show you a few places where it talks about the importance of knowing yourself. In Proverbs, it says, The purposes of of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. Right? It says you are, you are like a deep, deep uh, lake or river. You guys don't know about lakes here in Missouri, but I know about them up in Michigan. About some deep lakes and you know, deep water that, that not everyone can draw out. And yet, if you have insight, you might be able to draw them out. Again, the power of knowing yourself. Or, or uh, Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy. He says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Now, some of us have heard this verse before. We tend to focus on the doctrine part, your teaching, your belief. Um, but Paul also says, hey, watch Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So Paul is saying, Timothy, it's really important that you watch yourself, that you pay attention to what's going on inside of you, that you know yourself. Paul in Romans says this. He says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, to all of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Now, now we tend to stop there, and we tend to think, okay. Well, that must mean I shouldn't think of myself at all. But that's not what Paul says. He goes on here and he says, But rather, instead of thinking of yourself more highly than you ought, rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed distributed to each of you. So Paul says, hey, it's okay to think about yourself, but, but think about yourself with sober judgment rooted in faith. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes, if you've read that, is is the chronicle of of Solomon trying to get to understand himself and God better. So this is a deeply scriptural idea. So if you feel a little uncomfortable with us talking about this today, I want you to know that it's okay for us to talk about this in church. But more than being okay, I want to tell you why we must talk about this today in church. And that's because this idea of knowing yourself It is so important to not only the fullness of your life, but it's so important if you ever really want to be someone to another person in an intentional relationship. You know, the story that we heard from Julie in the video a second ago, and she's talking about Renita, this person who invested in her, that stuff just doesn't happen. It does not happen very often, and it does not happen very well with people who don't know themselves. And so today I want to share with you another story about two people. One is named Priscilla One is named Aquila, kind of odd names. They're ancient people. They're actually a husband and wife. And we meet them in in the book of Acts, book of Acts chapter 18, starting at verse 1. So if you want to look along in your own Bible, you can. We're going to kind of move through Acts 18 today, and we're going to follow their story. 
You can go to your smart uh, device and uh, go to uversion.com, or you can look along here on the screen in just a second. Acts chapter 18, this, we're going we're gonna to see about being someone again. That's what we're looking at in the series. But we're going to see in particular how important it is to know yourself if you're truly going to invest in another person and be God's handiwork in their life. So let's look along at Acts chapter 18, starting at verse 1. So after this, Paul, Paul's an important guy, uh, wrote a lot of the New Testament, a key leader in the movement of Christianity after Jesus died and rose and was ascended. Paul left Athens. So he's in Athens, and he goes to this other place called Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. So Aquila and Priscilla, they had come from Italy, and they had come because Claudius, the emperor, had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. So Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So Paul is moving all around the world. He's going around to all these major cities telling people about Jesus. And he meets these, these two people, Priscilla and Aquila. Did you notice how he met them? Uh, last week, Andy Audette, who's our seminary student, he talked at the end of his message about, about three things that you should look out for when you want to focus on a few. We, remember last week we talked about narrowing the field. We've got all these relationships but you can't be someone to everyone, so how do you focus on just a few relationships? And he gave us three words. He said, look for affinity, um, you know, be attentive, and then he said, look for potential. Now, Paul with Priscilla and Aquila, they, they immediately were a match. Why? Because they had the same occupation. Do you see what it was? They are both tent makers, so they were part of the same trade. Right away, they had an affinity. They had something in common. Not only that, but they were also both newcomers to Corinth. Um, Priscilla and Aquila had left Rome and had moved there. Paul had just come there from, from Athens. So they're both new in a new city. And, and you know the power of that. When, when you move into an area where everyone seems to know everyone else and everyone has deep relationships and you meet someone else who is like you starting off new, it's a great thing. It's, it's a great opportunity to develop a relationship. So they're both tent makers, they're both new to Corinth. Not only that, but, but they're both no strangers to persecution. I mean, did you catch that? That Priscilla and Aquila, the reason they had to leave Rome is because the emperor threw them out because of their faith. He didn't want instability in a city, and so they moved to a new place. Paul had been thrown out of a lot of cities because of his faith. And so these two have a lot of things in common. And, and so we find that Paul starts up a relationship with these two, he even becomes a house guest of theirs. As we heard last week, he, he learns their bathroom habits and everything. They become deep uh, friends. They even go into business together. They start making tents together, which, which can be very, very dangerous, right? Some of you have been burned by business partnerships with friends. And yet, somehow, Paul and Priscilla and Aquila, they make it all work. But then after a while, it comes time for Paul to leave. Because this is what Paul does. He doesn't stay any place for too long but when it comes time for him to leave, I want you to watch what happens as a result of this relationship. We're jumping ahead to verse 18. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. We know he was there for at least a year and a half, maybe a little longer. Then he left the brothers and sisters, and he sailed for Syria. But get this, he was accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Now these two crazy people decide that they're going to go with Paul as he sails across the ocean. I've got up here on the big screen for you. For those of you who are more visual and 
you know, just to root the fact, root this in the fact that this is history. These aren't like, you know, in a kingdom long, long ago, far, far away. These are real places. So as he goes from Corinth and sails across the Aegean Sea um, over to, uh, to, to uh, Ephesus and, uh, and beyond, um, Priscilla and Aquila decide they're going to go with him. Now I want you to think about this for a second and just ask yourself this question. What would it take for you to uproot your whole life and to move across the sea because of a friendship, because of a relationship? Like, what would that relationship need to be like for you in order for you to say, we are going to relocate and go somewhere else to follow this mission and to go along with this person? Priscilla and Aquila clearly have made a deep connection with Paul, and they're joined with his ministry, and so they go across to Ephesus. Now watch this. Before he sailed... Uh, This is just some detail, some kind of oddities. Uh, Before he sailed off over to Ephesus, he had his hair cut off at Centrea because of a vow he had taken. So, you know, when you swear off chocolate and you fail, um, just be glad that you're not in the ancient world because you have to cut your hair off if you were were living back then. Um, So he goes down to this other seaport. He sails across to to Ephesus. Well, when they finally arrived at Ephesus, uh, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila, Moving on, he himself went into the synagogue and he reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it's God's will. And then he sent, set sail from Ephesus. And so he's going to travel back towards the Holy Land. So, so this is kind of confusing. Priscilla and Aquila are like, Paul, you're going to Ephesus, we're going with you. And they get to Ephesus together and Paul goes, see ya, I'm going on. And he abandons them. Well, not exactly. See, what's happened is over the last couple of years, Paul has invested in Priscilla and Aquila. He has been someone to them, and now he's releasing them to be someone to someone else. And so here they find themselves in yet another new city. They're living in Ephesus, the fourth largest city in the empire, a really important seaport. And they're living there, and they're making their tents, and they're doing their thing, telling people about Jesus, when a new guy strolls into town. So Paul leaves, and this new guy comes. I want to introduce you to him. His name's Apollos. Let's take a look. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria. Now, Alexandria is down in northern Egypt, right? And uh, in Alexandria is probably like the second largest city in the Roman Empire at the time. And it's a city of great learning. There, there's this well-known ancient library in Alexandria. So it's this scholarly center of the, uh, of the Greek or Roman world. So uh, meanwhile, um, Apollos, a Jew from Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. I'll come back to that later. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, They invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So this new guy comes into town. I hope you're following this. This is like, you know, an an ancient soap opera here. A new guy comes into town by the name of Apollos. And this guy comes from Alexandria, which means he's basically Ivy League. I mean, this guy is no joke. He's he's educated. He's articulate. He's powerful. And then you've you've got Priscilla and Aquila, and they're just mere tent makers, On the surface, you would say, what do these people have in common? Nothing, right? But but we'll notice that even with all of his, his learning, even though he's been gifted by God to be an excellent teacher, Apollos is teaching the wrong stuff. 
or at least he's leaving out some very important parts because it's said in there that he was only teaching or he only knew the baptism of John. Now, what does that mean? That means that Apollos is going around teaching a baptism, yes, but not a baptism in the name of Jesus, not a baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's teaching a baptism only of repentance. He's teaching a symbolic baptism, a baptism that says, hey, I feel sorry for my sins. I, I, should, I should, you know, turn away from them. And here I'm, I'm making a sign that I'm really turning away from my sins, so I'll be baptized. A symbolic baptism. He's not teaching about what we would call now the sacrament of baptism, which is a washing and a rebirth, which is a death and a resurrection to new eternal life. So Apollos is missing a really big element in his teaching. And Priscilla and Aquila, they hear this, that he's only teaching the symbolic baptism, not, not this, this, this life-changing, eternity-changing baptism. So what do they do? They take him into their home. I love this, because this is what they did with Paul. And Paul came into their home, and Paul schooled them. Now they invite Apollos into their home, and they begin to school Apollos. It says they began to teach him the way of God more adequately. Now think about this for a second. You know, again, how does this happen? Blue-collar folk schooling Mr. Harvard. And yet that happens all the time in life, doesn't it? But, but this brings us to two of the barriers that I think we often face when it comes to being someone. Two things that hold us back. Now two weeks ago, Steve Howard, our senior pastor, he, he talked about busyness and how that is a major barrier in truly investing in another person. But, but today we're going to see two more that often hold us back. And they are intimidation and insecurity. Intimidation and insecurity. Intimidation deals with who others are. Insecurity deals with who we are. So let's talk about intimidation for a second. You know, into town comes this guy, Apollos. I told you he's highly educated. You can just imagine. You know, he's like six foot two, good looking, you know, debonair, polished, articulate. He's uh, got a really cool accent that all the girls love, you know. He's that kind of guy. And, and he comes into town, and, and he's powerfully speaking, and, and everyone loves him. And meanwhile, Priscilla and Aquila, they're the people that Paul left behind to, to help carry the work of the gospel forward. And, and you can just imagine them becoming incredibly intimidated by this guy. And truth be told, if, if we were Priscilla and Aquila, we'd probably never befriend a guy like Apollos. Because for most of us, out of intimidation, we tend to keep our friendships pretty close. And by close, I mean we tend to make friends with people who are in most ways basically like us. You know, we, we like to pick people who are, who are basically about as educated as we are, basically about as wealthy as we are, basically about as good-looking or intelligent as we are. I mean, someone can be a little higher in some areas as long as you've got them trumped in others, right? That's how we make friends. That's how we pick our friendships. Few of us are willing, just out of intimidation, to actually become friends with someone who we feel is superior to us in a lot of different ways. But for some reason, this wasn't an issue for Priscilla and Aquila. Apollos is a very impressive guy. They're, they're pretty simple folk. And yet, um, intimidation doesn't hold them back. Let's talk about insecurity for a minute. You know, insecurity, I told you, intimidation is about who others are. Insecurity is often about who we are. And I think often, because we don't know ourselves, or we don't value our own experiences or our own ability to make unique contributions, the result is 
that as we're insecure, we often hold back. We never fully put ourselves out there in terms of relationships. Because we think, you know, I, I don't have anything to offer. Or what, what can I do? Or surely there's someone who's more qualified or better suited to invest in that person. Or, or surely they could find a better friend than me. If you're honest with yourself, intimidation and insecurity are huge barriers that hold you back from investing in people that God may be nudging you to invest in. And yet for some reason, Priscilla and Aquila, they are not those people. They are not held back by intim- intimidation or insecurity. And they invest in this guy. They just see a guy who's new in town like they are. A guy who is passionate about Jesus like they are. They see a guy who's in need of help because he's got a key part of his teaching wrong. And I'll tell you, most of us would never see that with a guy like Apollos. We would never see that, that flaw. we just assume that everything was perfect about him and we'd never notice that there was this fundamental gap in his teaching. Or if we did, you know what we would do? We'd like zip our lips and just wait for him to, uh, to, to mess up so we'd feel better about ourselves, right? Because that's what we do. We'd wait for him to trip up so that we could somehow feel equal. But, but that's not what Priscilla and Aquila do. They invest in this guy. And as a result of their investment, I want you to see what happens. Um, when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, so he, like, like Paul, is itinerant. He's going to keep moving on. So he wants to go to a new place. The brothers and sisters in Ephesus encouraged him. And they wrote to the disciples there and said, hey, welcome this guy. He's awesome. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Are you getting this? As a result of this investment that Priscilla and Aquila make in this guy Apollos, Apollos goes on and he becomes a force to be reckoned with for the sake of the gospel. He becomes huge for God's movement of, of bringing the gospel forward. And so he goes to this next town and he is, he, is, he is a great debater and he is proving from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ and people are being saved. But, but I want you to get this. That that wouldn't have happened if Priscilla and Aquila hadn't invested in him. If they had allowed intimidation and insecurity to get in the way, like so many of us do, if they hadn't invited this guy over and uh, loved on him and fed him well and then said, hey, you know, you're an awesome teacher. Let's, let's talk about your teaching. And if they hadn't shared with him something that was probably hard for them to share, if they hadn't invested in him, he would not have been this guy who's going around the world helping people come to know the love of Jesus. Do you see how important this is? And do you also see how important this is for you to truly know yourself? Because I think it's only when we know ourselves, I think it's only then that we can overcome those natural barriers of intimidation and insecurity and invest in the people that God is calling us to invest in for the glory of his name. And so today, um, I, I want to close um, with j- three points. I'm going to unpack these for you. Three points um, that, that will help you grow in a healthy knowledge of yourself. I, I think you might want to take some notes on these because I think it's stuff that we all can put into practice in our lives. The first is this, be open to feedback. If you want to grow in a healthy knowledge of yourself, if you want to be more useful for God so you're not subject to intimidation and insecurity, be open to feedback. Now, none of us are very good at this naturally. I mean, maybe a few of us, like 1%. 
Um, I admit I'm terrible at this. Uh, and as I've, as I've grown, I've, I've gotten better at least about praying that God would make me more open and that God would give me a teachable spirit. Because growing up, I was just one of those kids who, man, I just could not take feedback without letting it crush me, without letting myself just kind of wallow and being like, oh, you know, one thing I did wrong, that means I did everything wrong. I was, I was that kid. And, and I see that sometimes in my own kids, and I pray, and I talk to them all the time about being open and being teachable. But none of us really like to be open to feedback. I'll continue with my honesty this morning. Uh, Sometimes as I'm standing up here after the services and I see someone approaching, there's a part of me that wants to brace myself, you know? I'm not sitting there going, hey, you know, I'm open. What do you have to say, good or bad? There's a part of me that goes, what is this about to be? And, uh, And I'm getting myself ready for it. I'm preparing myself for it. And yet, if you really want to grow in a healthy knowledge of yourself, there's nothing like being open to feedback. Now, often when we think about this, we think of constructive criticism, which is so important. If someone loves you and cares about you enough to speak a word of of constructive critique into your life, you should thank them because you've been on the the giving end of that, right? You've seen someone in your life where, where they have needed critique and you've gone through the agony of going like, hey, should I say something? Should you? Hey, why don't you say something to them? You know how awful that is. So when someone actually steps forward and and they give you constructive critique, man, that's a great gift, even though it doesn't feel like it. Uh, But but this morning, I want to point you to a different kind of feedback that I think we need to be more open to, and that is praise. I think we all need to be a little more open to how people praise us. Because for a lot of us, When someone praises us, the first thing that we try to do is to escape it, right? Someone gives us a compliment or they praise us for some attribute or some action that we take. And and our first thing, just because we're we're humble and we don't want to be seen as arrogant, we, we try to sidestep it. We're dodging it. And yet if you listen to the way that people praise you, especially those ways that people praise you consistently... If you don't let 80% of it just kind of bounce off or, or you, def- you deflect it like Wonder Woman with her, you know, cuffs. If you actually listen to it, you can learn a lot about who God has made you to be. You, c- you can even learn a lot about how God has taken your unique experiences and how he's redeeming them and using them for his purposes in the, in the lives of others. So being open to feedback, I, I think, is so important uh, it's something we could all stand to do. So, so just, you know, for action, again, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. But, but write yourself a note. Listen to constructive criticism. That's a gift that someone is giving you. But also, listen to how people praise you. Don't dismiss it. Don't shut them down. Say thank you and really listen. And if you're really bold, don't just wait for people to do this kind of in a passive way, but actively pursue criticism and praise. Ask people for input in your life. Because as you're more open to feedback, you'll learn a lot more about yourself. So that's number one. Uh, Number two is this. Make peace with your past. Make peace with your past. I I think one of the things that keeps us from really knowing ourselves, looking within and understanding who God has made us to be, is that we're afraid as we look within that we're going to see all of that stuff about us that we already know we don't like. We're going to see those past failures and those regrets and those things that we're ashamed about. We're going to see all those mistakes that we've made, and we don't want to face that stuff. We don't want to own that stuff. We don't even want to bother with that stuff, so we kind of keep it locked up, put away, so we don't have to face it. But by extension, when we do that, we're shutting off the opportunity for us to learn 
from our past. We're, we're shutting off the opportunity that, that the Holy Spirit wants to have in our lives to take those things and instruct us about the ways of God. Now, you need to make peace with your past, not only for the sake of being someone to another person, but just for the sake of your whole well-being. And do you not realize that that's exactly what Jesus came to do? He came to bring you peace about your entire existence? I mean, those were his first words to people after his resurrection. Peace be with you. That's what God wants for you more than anything. He wants you to have peace. He wants you to be able to say, like the the words of the old hymn, it is well with my soul, about your past, about your present, and about your future. Do you not know that no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, do you not know that if you are in Christ Jesus, if you've been baptized in him, that you are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? That you are not the sum total of your sins or your failures. That God now declares you to be the righteousness that comes from Christ. It's true. Do you not know that when God looks at your life, he doesn't see all that failure. He sees the perfection of his son that now covers you. And he sees a creature that he loves and created with intentionality And so he doesn't want you looking at your life seeing guilt and shame and regret and self-hatred. He wants you to have peace because he paid for your peace. Not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and his innocent suffering and death that you might be his and that you might have very real peace. Do you know that today? See, this is so important to every part of your life. For you to take hold of the peace that Jesus died on a cross to give you. But it's so important to this topic that we're talking about today too. Because when you make peace with your past, then you can learn from your past. And you can understand more about about who you are and who God is making you into. So so here's the action step I have for you on this one. As you you make peace with your past, really uh, just tangibly, here's what I challenge you to do. I challenge you to get good at telling about your story talking about knowing your testimony and writing it down and being able to speak it to others. Because as you begin to talk about your past, as you begin to talk about your life, and as you begin to to put it all together and you declare God's power and rescue over your life to other people, that will free you up from all all of the shame and all the regret and all the stuff that you fear about your past. You'll be able to do, as Paul says, you'll be able to boast in your weakness because you know that in your weakness, he is strong. So so I'm challenging you today, if you're a person who has trouble making peace with your past, begin to write down your testimony, begin to work on it, share it with others, because as you you look at how God has rescued you from that past, and how he's changing you, and you're not a complete story yet, you know, you're you're not all new today, but as you look at how you are a work in progress... You will get victory over your past, and God will begin to bring peace into your life. So so those are the the two things that I want to give you. Here's the third one. Um, Celebrate your brand of uniqueness. Celebrate your brand of uniqueness. See, I think a lot of us, if we were asked, and if we were given time to think, and if someone made us, we could probably think of some of the ways that we're unique. Some of the things that we can do that no one else can do. Or, or we'd think about unique experiences that we have that really do define us and give us maybe even an advantage over others. We could think about uh, unique contributions that we could make to others or that we have made to others. 
The problem is that even though we can think of those things, the problem is that we often don't value those things. Because we're too busy looking at what other people have and what other people can do, right? And we think, instead of, instead of celebrating how God has made us unique, we think, why can't I sing like that? Or why can't I talk in front of people like that? Or why am I not good in school like that person? Or why can't I be the life of the party and be everybody's friend like that person? We are so preoccupied in life, thinking about how we're deficient, looking at what others can do and being envious, rather than just celebrating the things that we already know about ourselves. And if there's any doubt in your mind today, I just want to remind you that that everyone has been gifted by God. God does not make junk, amen? He doesn't, and he didn't with you. He's put into you unique gifts that are yours. And he has taken your life story, and he is reshaping it and redeeming it, which, which enables you and your unique experiences to make contributions into the lives of others that no one else can do. Do you believe that? See, I think deep down we kind of do, but we're just afraid to celebrate it. But I'd encourage you today to celebrate your brand of uniqueness. It's, it's, it's not to your credit that you're unique. It's to God's credit. And when you celebrate it, you're just giving him honor and glory for what he's done in your life. And so, so here's a, a tangible action step I, I'd give you for this. Um, I talked about it at the beginning. If you struggle to celebrate your brand of uniqueness, take an inventory. Become an inventory junkie like me, okay? T- take some inventories. We even have a free one available for you on our website. It's called Uniquely You, Uniquely Y-O-U. Um, you can search for it on our website, or you can go to Next Steps and then go to New Here. You'll find it right there, Uniquely You. It's a free inventory. It's part disc assessment, part spiritual gifts assessment. And here's why I think those things are great. Not only do they reveal some things about yourself that maybe you didn't know, but I think for most of us, here's what they do. They finally give us a name for our specific brand of uniqueness. So so we're no longer looking at someone else's that we understand. And and finally, there's this name, there's this term, there's this category for who God has made us to be. And it feels really great to finally have it named so that we can celebrate it. I'd encourage you to do that. So in conclusion, those three things, if you didn't get them before, I'll tell them to you now. Be open to feedback. You know, listen to how people critique you. Listen to how people praise you. Make peace with your past. Work on your testimony. Uh, And then lastly, celebrate your brand of uniqueness. Take an inventory and then celebrate how God has uniquely crafted you. Just think, again, if Priscilla and Aquila had been subject to intimidation and insecurity, they never would have invested in Apollos, and Apollos would not have had the effect on the world that he did. This is so important for all of us to do. Now, for those of us who love to do this, I just want to close with this. There's a caution. I saw this on Twitter um, a couple of months ago, and I thought, man, that is, that is true for me, and that's something I need to be careful of. And, and I'd give this to all of us as a caution. It said this, introspection and self-examination are essential, but they can become ends in themselves. When this happens, a person can become so self-absorbed that spiritual formation becomes a journey into self rather than a journey into God. I hope you know that a journey into self, that's not what we're talking about here today. But but if we're going to fulfill the two greatest things that Jesus said we have as humans to do, that is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, then we've got to know ourselves. Because if you're going to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you've got to understand what those things are. 
what things God has given you to give back to him. And if you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, you've got to get over the insecurity and the intimidation, and you've got to make peace with who you are. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've made us all unique. I praise you that you, you've not made any of us inadequate. It may just be if we feel inadequate today that we just don't understand our unique brand of, your, of, of the creation that you've, uh, you've fashioned us to be. And so, Father, today I, I pray that you would help us to get over insecurity and intimidation that keep us from investing into other people in relationships. Father, that when your spirit prompts us or we see there's an opportunity to invest in someone, that we don't put the brakes on just because we are uh, shaken by who they are or who we think we are. But Father, I I pray that you'd help us to see ourselves the way you see us. Help give us a, a healthy confidence in what you're doing in our lives so that we can be useful in the lives of others, so that we can be part of your gospel work, so we can be part of the redemption, the saving work that you are, you are still advancing all over this planet. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please rise.